0: When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today I forgot to hit record for the scripture lesson, but it's First Thessalonians chapter 5 at the, the very end of the chapter if you want to read it. It's pretty good. Um, the end of that book with lots of apocalyptic stuff in it and real encouragement for everyday life. So thank you for being patient with me and my uh, hitting, not hitting the record button, but I wish you a good day as you explore this topic with me. This uh, final conclusion of the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, there's two letters of Paul to the church in Thessaloniki, um. And these first two letters, or the first two, the letters of Paul, this first letter um, ends with an apocalyptic note, and that's why we read it during Advent, or one of the reasons we read it during Advent. Um, the Thessalonians is where Paul says, for the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call and with the sound of God's trumpet will descend from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we'll be, so will we be with the Lord forever. Um, and also, he says that um, this time is like a woman in labor, having labor pains. There is this pain that produces something good, the birth of a child, but it is like labor pains, this waiting for God. Um, I have not given been in labor ever. I've been close to it, observed it, um, and labor starts long before that birth labor starts. There's pre-all those things that happen before, the contractions and all the things that lead up to that, even that start at the moment of conception, um, to prepare uh, that person's body for giving birth. All of that is the labor pains, the groaning of creation for something good that is happening in the world. And sometimes our lives feel like that, that, that our pain is actually a destructive kind of pain. But Advent reminds us, and Paul reminds us, and Jesus reminds us, that the pains that we feel that are our destruction are actually labor pains. The pain is still pain. It's still really bad and hard and difficult. The, the word terrific um, is a strange word. Usually it means something really good, like, wow, that's terrific. I'm glad you got that promotion. Um... But in tech, when I first moved to Texas back in nineteen, there was a guy who um, would often preach at the little church I went to, Louisville Bible Church. And um, he would often talk about terrific pain that somebody was in, or he would pray for someone who was in terrific pain. And it always struck me as odd that he would use um, that word to describe pain. But maybe he was hinting at that deeper labor pain that is terrific in its volume and magnitude and horror and terror and yet um it is ultimately um it is ultimately that pain that produces all of us all of our births came through pain for our mothers that's why on birthdays i always make sure to congratulate the child's mother more than even the child. We should we ought to do that. Um, but Paul's final words in this letter, the final words, I mean, he says, he appeals to them. He is far away. Um, so much of our hierarchy that we sort of see around us in the church um, is really just uh, an attempt to invite people to do something that's good. Um, I often reflect on how much power I have as your priest and vicar, um, that that is a power relationship that I should not exploit in any way, shape, or form. Um, That's why I don't um, have a whole bunch of rental properties that I rent out to people in my church or whatever some clergy have done to um, exploit their power. Um, this happens a lot. Um, certainly, um, the rise and rampant abuse of clergy sexual exploitation is is a plague on our churches um, of not just sexual assault and not just um, sexual abuse of minors or vulnerable adults, but even um, sexual exploitation that is in the form of what on the outside world might be considered consensual relationships. There is a power differential. There is an asymmetrical power relationship in a church that I try to be very aware of. And I don't always get this right Um, when I have discussions with various people in the church that we disagree on something and um, I try to be very aware of my power. At the same time, I realize how powerless I am that the only authority and power I have is a moral one, one of influence and hopefully love and hopefully persuasion and hopefully um, begging and pleading and entreaty. But I can't put anybody in jail or do anything like that. Um, And neither can Paul. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is um, one of the foremost apostles to the Gentiles of the church He has a ton of authority. And yet, all he can do is appeal to them. All he can do is plead with them from a distance and say, hey, can you maybe try to do these things? I'd really like it if you did. Um, The church's authority is not a temporal authority. Um, it It is a spiritual authority. It's an authority that Jesus lived out on this earth. When they came to arrest Jesus, they arrested him and he went. He had no um, authority to, um, to somehow subvert those legal processes that um, were fraudulently put against him by Pilate and the others. But ultimately, his power came through his weakness. And Paul is the same way in this, the end of this letter. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you, um, to have charge of you in the Lord and admonish you, Um, This is the task of clergy and leaders in the church, the bishops of the church that Paul is referring to, were probably more like local leaders of local congregations of a cluster of house churches or a church that met in a very large house um, at that time. The office of bishop and priest, pastor were kind of all combined at this time as far as we can tell. There is no one form of church government that's explicitly indicated in Scripture, although there's hints, and Episcopalians make a pretty good argument for our order of church hierarchy. But um, there is no explicit text that lays it all out in great detail. But here you can notice what the clergy are supposed are um, are supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be laboring among you, which means. Um, First and foremost from the book of Acts, to be studying, to be learning, be studying the scriptures and other theological works so that we can be flowing fountains, not stagnant pools, that um, hopefully there's new stuff that's coming out of us um, all the time as best we can. Um, to also labor of, of knowing um, who's there and what's happening in their lives, of inviting new people into the community Um, helping and teaching, um, which to me doesn't feel like labor, but it is. Teaching is labor, and um, we have teachers in our classrooms, and we have teachers in the church. Um, And then uh, to have charge in the Lord, that um, the prayer that we pray on Good Friday and a couple other times is that, is the priestly prayer that I pray for you all the time, that um that the holy spirit of god will set the death and burial and resurrection of jesus christ between your souls and god that i plead for on your behalf for god and i'm responsible for your souls um that i am responsible for caring for you i'm responsible for praying for you and that is something that i take very seriously and I'm not, I'm not always perfect at that. I know my own failings. At our, um, I've shared this before, but at our vow renewal for, at the clergy conference in October, we had a long confession led by our bishop, confessing our failures to care for people, confessing our failures to pray for people. But this is my job. This is the labor. This is um, the charge that I have, the care of souls but also to admonish you. That's the other thing he says to do. Um, You know, respect those who admonish you. Um, Community life is really hard. Life in community is really difficult. Um, We um, have hurt feelings constantly in community. All of us do in every community. Um, We have ways we think things should be done. We have decisions that, that are made that we don't like. We have uh, lots of things that, um, and personalities that somehow seem to, uh, as we say, rub us the wrong way or get under our skin or, um, and all those ways that communities have conflict. Um, my, one of my jobs is to try to admonish um, through love to say, let's try to resolve these things before they become much bigger. And um, I try to lead in that example in this community. Not always perfectly, that's for sure. But um, I think that's the main thing of admonishing is to try to resolve conflict as soon as we can, um, to um, to confront each other with things that hurt us and tell people when we're hurt um, rather than hold that back and think that it'll go away. Um, and then he says... Um, something to you, the church. Um, be at peace among yourselves. This word peace um, is the word in Hebrew, shalom, um, that's used in Greek, um, here, Irene, But um, it is that idea of harmony. It's not an absence of conflict. It's not an absence of difficult times, or, but it is that kingdom of God, on earth. It is the Garden of Eden that we ought to all be hoping for in our real life. That's what peace. So, striving for peace among yourselves, we urge you, beloved, um, admonish the idlers, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. And then here's the hard one see that none of you repay evil for evil. Um, we live in a world of paybacks. The action movie genre is the payback genre. There's even a movie called Payback. Um, I think Mel Gibson a long time ago. But the idea that in the opening scene, there's some atrocity or crime done, somebody's family member is hurt or killed or something awful happens, and the rest of the movie is our hero or heroine trying to get payback. And at the end of the movie, even though The villain usually dies or something bad happens to him. It never quite seems to even out. It never brings that person back. It never restores the loss. Payback never does. We might think and fantasize that payback will give us what we want, but it really doesn't. Ultimately, it is love and forgiveness that gives us what we need. Um, Even though our desires for revenge um, are often something that we nurse and milk and sort of treasure in our hearts um, that will finally get, they'll get their due someday. Um, ultimately, it is the power of love that does that. and And it doesn't mean just love where we just feel good about them, but the kind of love that says, I can repay evil for evil, but I'm not going to. The classic story of this is in the story of Joseph, who is, is brutally betrayed by his brothers. He is, they attempt to murder him. They throw him in a hole. They sell him into enslavement to people that are passing through and they think they'll never see him again. Well, they do see him again. And now he's holding all the cards. He's got all the power and they don't have any. And Joseph has to decide, do I pay them back for what they did to me? And in that uh, contemplation and decision-making, he decides not to. It's a real choice he has. He can. He reminds them of what they did to him. And then he says, I'm not going to pay you back. I'm going to bless you instead. I'm going to feed you and help you. These are our examples. These are the stories we draw on when we need those kinds of encouragements. Pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Oh boy, how am I supposed to be thankful in all circumstances? Um, I think um, one way to do this, and we've practiced this in Warrior Church many years ago, but the gratitude pose where you put your arms, and maybe you can do this with me, um, put your arms up and look up just in thanks for being alive. And um, and when things are really bad and the world's crashing down, things you've trusted are falling away, when relationships are going through tumultuous conflict and turmoil, to be grateful just for life. And we're not always grateful for life. Um, I've shared before that my struggles with suicide, uh, my struggles with wanting to be dead, um, sometimes the stress and pressure and illness of life um, and dis-ease of life can make us feel like we don't want to be alive anymore. And that's real. And we need to get help for that. And we need to see a counselor. I'll help you do that. Um, first start with that. Seek get, to get some medication that will help us with that kind of stuff. But ultimately, to follow what Paul is saying to people, um, as he himself has struggled with this kind of despair, to say, You know, there is always something to be thankful for, and that is to be alive, that God isn't finished with us, that there is a hope and a future. That's the story of Advent, is that you have to wait for stuff to happen, and the waiting is really, 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 really hard. So the God of peace is going to do this for you. He asked this church to pray for for them, um, this traveling band of church planters that is traveling around. Pray for them, he says. And then we end with this. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Um, This admonition from Paul, which is also repeated elsewhere, seems to be the greeting of the early church. People didn't really shake hands back then. Um, That's a later custom, I think, from the medieval period. Um, But they kissed each other a lot. Um, When I was in New York with my brother, uh, visiting him, one of my sister-in-law's friends was there at the house, and she's Italian. And so, uh, when we all walked down to the street and said goodbye to her, uh, you know, she kissed them, and and I was like, okay, I guess we have to do, and you know, you do the back and forth kiss. And I mean, this used to be the the way normal families greeted each other and said goodbye, and churches used to do this too, greet one another with a holy kiss. In fact, it's probably more sanitary um, than handshaking in many ways, although the American custom of shaking hands has become the peace. But the peace that we pass, passing the peace in the church service, is this admonition to greet one another with a holy kiss. And this is preserved in the wedding ceremony. Um, In the wedding, the part in movies where they say, so-and-so, you may now kiss your bride... Um, and they do that, and everybody claps, is really the passing of the peace, which is the half point of the service before the Eucharist. The peace of the Lord be always with you, and also with you. And then the bride and groom are supposed to kiss, and that's the moment of the kiss in the wedding, but it's also the kiss that we share in our church. So maybe we should blow air kisses to each other at the passing of the peace. That might be a better way to do it. Um, Or if you um, are Italian or from a a place where that is a greeting, uh, maybe that's something to restore. But that is something Paul does encourage them to do. Because maybe that's kind of hard to do. And he can't do it. He's far away. Um, He misses them. And um, that's a sign of what a church community is. A community that you miss when you're away. um, Because you're loved there and that is a place that we all need that kind of home to come home to to be loved because it's because of it because as he says it is god's grace that brings all of this to be amen lord be with you and with thy spirit let us pray our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come Govern them and lift them up forever. Day by day we magnify Thee, and we worship Thy name ever, world without end. Vouchsafe, O Lord, to keep us this day without sin. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us. O Lord, let Thy mercy be upon us as our trust is in Thee. O Lord, in Thee have I trusted. Let me never be confounded. And today, we are blessed to celebrate the Feast of St. Nick, jolly old St. Nick. Um, put some pictures up here on the screen. Um, there's an icon of Nicholas. There is a picture of him distributing gold to some children and there's a meme I made from the pawnbroker's um, um, meme that some of you may think is funny I don't know but um, we'll talk about why he's part of that um, we know very little about the life of St. Nicholas um, we know um A couple things. Uh, One, that he suffered torture and imprisonment during the persecution of the Emperor Diocletian. The um, persecution in the Roman Empire uh, around this time was sporadic and local in many ways, but um, after, um, right before Christianity becomes a tolerated religion where Christians are protected, um, there is a surge of persecutions that happen by the Roman emperors as they feel their power slipping away. Um, It is possible that he is one of the bishops who attended the first ecumenical council of Nicaea in 325. This was the council that uh, Constantine, the emperor, called to work out a number of problems that were happening in the church around the Trinity. And it is this council that um, produces the Nicene Creed that we say every Sunday, which establishes our Trinitarian belief um, in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he was honored as a saint in Constantinople in the 6th century um, by Emperor Justinian. His veneration became immensely popular in the West after the supposed removal of his body to Bari, Italy. Bari's, the local Pflugerville Italian restaurant, is the name is probably related to to the um, families that came from that part of Italy. But that happened in the late 11th century. um, And in England... Nearly 400 churches were dedicated to him. Um, so you can kind of see how the, the um, veneration and respect towards St. Nicholas um, really captured the imagination of people in the medieval world and onward. He is uh, famed as a traditional patron saint of seafarers and sailors, and more especially of children. As a bearer of gifts to children, his name was brought to America by the Dutch colonists in New York, for whom he is popularly known as Santa Claus. Um, The origin stories vary on how he um, became the Christmas figure, Um, and we have a visit from St. Nick coming to St. Joan of Arc. Um, Is it this Sunday or next Sunday that he's coming? I have to look at the calendar again. But St. Nicholas is coming to visit us, and he will tell the story of how that happened. But um, some of the accounts are different, but um, I think the basic outline of the, of the legend story, the hagiography, hagiography is the writings about the saints, the hagios and grafo to write. So the hagiography, which is somewhat trustworthy, but always subject to a little... Um, Hagiography, if you will, um, says that there were three girls that were that were unable to produce a dowry. Um, their father was unable to produce a dowry for them, and so they were going to be either sold into slavery or married off to a very to very cruel men who were much older and um, abusive in that way. And so Nicholas um, snuck some coins. Or gold bags of coins into the three girls' um, shoes while they were sleeping, so they woke up to discover um, discover those um, treasures. Um, and because of those three bags of coins, the pawnbroker's symbol um, those three balls that you see on my meme uh, there of from. Pawn Stars, the reality television show that's on the chest of that guy, forget his name, and on their shirts um, is from St. Nicholas, who is the patron saint of pawnbrokers because he bailed them out. He bailed out these girls with these three bags of gold. And um, pawnbrokers have been helping people uh, get out of jams for a long time. Apparently, that's how he's associated with that. There's other legends about him um, that um, abound of throwing coins down the chimney. So you can see how Santa Claus and Saint Nick um, kind of come together. The Washington Irving poem, jolly old Saint Nick is referenced there. Um, So all of that sort of comes together on this feast day to remember him. He was probably not very a very large man. He what we little we know of his life in hagiography is that he fasted a lot. So unlike the jolly old elf Santa Claus, who is known for being a um very large person, Saint Nick in real life was probably not that large, but his love was very large for these children. So Patron saint of sailors, pawnbrokers, and especially children. Um, His legacy continues. And 400 churches in England and a lot in the United States as well. Not any in the Diocese of Texas that I know. But I think that'd be pretty cool to name a church after him because then you could do a lot of stuff around this time of year. Let us pray. Almighty God, in your love, you didst give your servant Nicholas of Myra a perpetual name for deeds of kindness both on land and sea. Grant, we we pray thee, that thy church may never cease to work for the happiness of children, for the safety of sailors, for the relief of the poor, and the help of those tossed by tempests of doubt or grief through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. And um, I think I saw in the chat the day that Saint Nick is coming. Yes, on the eighteenth or eleven, eighteenth or no, twelve, eighteen. I'm sorry, was a typo. So yes, on Sunday the eighteenth, uh, Saint Nicholas will be coming to church. So, um. Lord Jesus Christ, who did stretch out thine arms of love on the hard wood of the cross, that everyone might come within the reach of thy saving embrace, so clothe us in thy spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know thee to the knowledge and love of thee, for the honor of thy name. Amen.